from the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's mm-hmm. monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. We appreciate you listening to the show this month on your Indiana Public Broadcasting station. If ever you'd like to get a question on this program, all you have to do is email that to ask at wbaa.org, and you can tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. Uh, we are taping this uh, on the eve of Game 2 of the World Series. Sorry about your Dodgers. Uh, it didn't go as, as I'm sure you had hoped. No, but it went as I expected. I had, had uh, lowered my expectations, and, and they met them. So uh, <laughs> it wait till, as, as they always said in Brooklyn, wait till next year. It could be worse. You could be like me and be a Cub fan. So, you know, it could have gone even worse than, than it did. But uh, and, and, you know, if the Dodgers do <laughs> want to get rid of Clayton Kershaw, I'm sure there are plenty of teams <laughs> that would happily take him. Well, he would cost you, but we can talk. (laughs) On to some things that affect the university a little more directly. You and I had talked on the program some months ago about a draft plan uh, to convert the Purdue Armory from its long-term use by the ROTC as a training center into a more multi-use building with offices, a food court, things like that. The university has opted to kind of scrap that plan what led to that happening? Because I know there were some people who were not all that happy. There had been an online petition you and I had talked about that, that <sighs> people were expressing their displeasure. What eventually led to the decision to leave the armory kind of the way it is? Uh, first of all, I guess if you can overdo the transparency thing, maybe I did. I just believe in being open with people. And uh, and I said this is an idea that is among many that we're looking at. And uh, some people, I think, overreacted and, mis- or, and uh, misunderstood what we might be thinking of. But we've undergone a process. It's really a rolling process where we look at all the possibilities for capital, either improvements or new facilities here, and try to examine them based on how much uh, value they have to our core mission of teaching and research, measure that against the cost of doing them, and we've sort of arrayed them on a a matrix priority uh, in priority order. And so that was ongoing at the time that I mentioned just by way of being open and and, uh, sharing with people at the University Senate uh, when that process ran its course, this particular idea fell down in somewhere on one of the left-hand quadrants, which is to say less important relative to what it would cost. doesn't mean we'll never do anything there. In fact, by cleaning it up, we think we can get some more use out of all that space. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Because there was some talk about <laughs> lead remediation because, of course, there's been live fire training that's been done here over a course of many, many years. What's been done in that area? Right. I uh, my understanding is first of all I know we've we've cleaned up the the lead uh, any lead residue that was there and that at least opens up possibilities such as food service for those uh, uh, many 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 uh, hours and days when ROTC is not using the building. So um, uh, that's that's really all there is to say. Maybe uh, one day there'll be some. Uh, Renovation or reconfiguration will always protect uh, ROTC's interest, um, and um, but it's it uh, it's really just a matter of we do the same thing with our classroom buildings and everything else we invest in around here. How can we utilize the the space we have uh, more effectively? 
this actually, this idea of utilizing buildings more effectively came up during conversations that we've been having with one of the gentlemen who's running for mayor of West Lafayette, Zachary Bale, who was talking about the fact that one of the things he'd like to see if he became mayor was trying to figure out how to do a very similar thing with the city of West Lafayette's buildings, how to make them used as close to 24-7 as you can to get maximum effectiveness out of the space. What are the university's conversations like that in terms of getting use out of buildings, especially when it would, you know, there are times when, you know, think about midnight to 6 a.m. or something like that, where it would seem like the majority of buildings probably not occupied in any way. Are you thinking about ways to try and do something like that? Sure. In the in the productive sector, the real in the, in the private sector of the economy, people think about this all the time. The pressure of competition requires them to think hard about the you know the capital that they spend, and how do you how are you going to uh, utilize it uh, uh, fully or as fully as possible? In the nonprofit sectors and the government sector, sometimes people are pretty casual about it. Things seem a little tight. We'll just put up another building, and um, uh, so uh, we've been paying a lot of attention to this. Uh, think about uh, uh, dining, um, where uh, by having other options. Uh, more distributed options uh, uh, that seem to uh, match up better with uh, student preferences these days. We, uh, our dining people, wanted to build a multi-million dollar dining hall two or three years ago. We have not needed it. And um, think about classrooms. We, um, by teaching more on Mondays and Fridays and even Saturday morning labs and things like that, by extending hours, you can uh, te- uh, teach a lot more students in the same amount of space. To say nothing of online. And online, yes, another good example. So that's that's what it's about. And the when we look at uh, any facility, like especially something as as big as the armory, that's those are the questions we ask. But uh, as I told you, the answer was no. Let's leave it be. You mentioned the University Senate a minute ago. I wanted to talk about a couple of resolutions they were discussing at their most recent meeting. One of them asks the school to actually rescind its 2020 benefit structure because the faculty don't believe they got appropriate input on that. You and I are taping this just a couple of days before open enrollment is about to begin for the coming academic year. Is such a thing even a possibility? No. And uh, their own their own uh, chair reminded them they'd had tons of input. In fact, one change about the spousal benefits was put off a year specifically at the uh, um, uh, behest of, uh, of faculty, uh, some of it, much of it expressed through the Senate, put it off a year, modified it, what we were going to do a year ago, so they should feel they had a direct impact on that. And um, uh, uh, chair, uh, uh, chair uh, person uh, Cookie uh, politely reminded them that they, uh, she had personally, on many occasions, made sure to transmit their views. One of the things you're talking about there is that uh, Purdue had uh, forwarded an idea that uh, spousal benefits would change in such a way that if you had one spouse working for Purdue and someone else working for another employer that offered health insurance that they could get it for, where that employer would also pay at least 50% of the person's health care premium, that Purdue initially had said, well, maybe we're not sure we want to cover that person. Over the last year, that discussion has morphed, and now Purdue says, we will cover you, but we're also going to charge you a little bit more Mm -hmm. on the front end to do that. Um, What has been the response to people from the idea that, that they are still going to get covered, but they are going to get charged a little bit more? Uh, I can't gauge it. It's it's not been uh, 
particularly noticeable or vocal, that idea, that suggestion, that alternative suggestion came from a town hall with faculty and staff and was adopted, you know. So that's that's where that idea came from. No, no, don't, don't just uh, uh, step back from spousal coverage, but it's fair to, if somebody wants to stay on Purdue's very um, generous plan, um, when they could um, be on that uh, the plan at where the the place where they actually work, that uh, some surcharge would be fair. So we said, okay, we'll take that idea instead. Certainly easier, I think, for a lot of families to be on one health plan rather than having to manage mm-hmm. a couple of different plans. Have you been able to figure out either how many people that might affect? or the financial impact that this is going to have um, on, uh, on, on more money that will come into the university to try to help you offset health care costs? Somebody has those numbers. They're not that big, but, that is, but, but you know, if, if you're one of the people involved, it's a major, as you said, it's a major factor for you. So um, I, I think this, is a, this should be seen as a good example in which there was an open exchange and, and uh, the university uh, paid attention and modified what it was going to do um, by, uh, with the advantage of the input from faculty and others. Whatever money you make from this, is it going to be allocated toward keeping future health care cost increases down to be poured back into that pot of money that the university spends so that maybe well, we can forestall future increases? I wouldn't think of it that way. Our health care costs are going up several percent a year. We're talking about just trying to limit the amount at which they go up. Every dollar we spend on that is a dollar we can't pay in salary or use for other uh, other benefits. So um, uh, it's uh, it, it the changes that are made this year, and we'll we look every year to see what can we do to moderate the the uh, rate of increase. You know, there was some complaint about the uh, uh, reimbursement for parking. People wanted to. We've been reimbursing at premium rates. Uh, that was another thing I wanted yeah. to ask about. So, for, well, you for know, people who don't know about this, there was talk about someone goes on a trip and they park their car at the Indianapolis airport, and there's, you know, there's an economy lot which is about nine dollars a day that you can park and take a shuttle bus in. It's pretty easy, but there's also the covered parking that's right next to the terminal. And Purdue had said maybe we don't want to pay for the more expensive covered parking. People can just work in the economy a lot, and and so anyway, just to give people some background on that. Yeah, that's right. You know now. Uh, We've we've made a deal with a a business that's near the airport, which is really quite great. They they shuttle you immediately, no waiting. Your car is uh, kept indoors. I think they even clean it for you while it's there. So there are other options. But what this said was if somebody insists on paying on on parking at the premium price, then they should cover the difference and not the uh, university. And, you know, we're not going to – that's a perfectly fair thing to do. Our our, uh, travel costs have been going up 8% a year. Uh, with the change we're making here, uh, or, the, or the amount, I should say, of that increase that we're trying to uh, moderate, um, I calculated we could hire at least 20 new faculty or, or uh, cover uh, tuition for 200 Hoosier students. And so um, it seemed like a very reasonable uh, change. And frankly, uh, people who take advantage of the, um, whatever the service is called, Park Pal or something like that, um, we'll, we'll like it a lot. As a matter of fact, it's probably better than parking your own car in the uh, premium facility. One last question uh, relating to the health care benefits. How is Purdue going to judge whether the spouses who work for another company are uh, 
the ones who are covered? In other words, how are you going to, if someone says to you, no, 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 I just want to have my spouse who has a non-Purdue job covered under this, is the university going to look into whether they have the ability to get health care or are you going to have people do it kind of on their honor? I think the latter. We, we may have this information. I'm not, I'm not certain. Um, I, I think we can trust Purdue people not to try to uh, cheat or take uh, un, undue advantage of a system. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Remember, you can send questions via email to ask at wbaa.org. You can also tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. Uh, the trustees recently had their yearly vote on your pay package. They gave you more than 100% of your, your so-called at-risk pay. And so I wanted to ask kind of about the general numbers. When all is said and done, your pay year over year goes up about 8% when everything is considered. Uh, and we should note there's been this escalating uh, retention package as well that figures into that. This is at a time when the average university worker was working with a 2.5% uh, pool of pay, uh, and so the average worker got 2 or 2.5% 2 pay increases. Are, are you concerned at all what kind of message that sends when that's the pay for the rank and file and you get 8%? I'm always concerned about this. I mean, my base pay stayed the same. I, we lowered it when I got here, you might recall, and it stayed the same ever since. Now, more they've added to the part that's at risk, if you uh, yes, you're right. The the board uh, uh, suggested this retention uh, amount as a way to um, uh, keep me on the job, which I'm happy to do anyway. If you take that out, this is not an eight percent increase. If you recognize that as something right, separate. but we are talking about the total. Right. Dollars and I would you I would also point spend. out that uh, in the units, at least that administer pay the way we want them to, people, some people, the best employees did get 8%. In other words, two and a half is the average. But we've discussed on this show before, we really encourage and have tried to coach our unit leaders to um, not to spread it evenly, and which is very unfair to the best workers. And so... Um, but there probably aren't a lot of people who got 8%. There probably aren't a lot. You know, this is the first year. You, you say the trustees awarded. Well, no, the formula did. One third of this pay is on a strictly mathematical formula. You've seen it. Well, created by the trustees, though. Yeah. Yes, but the the formula governs. They don't sit around and um, uh, make some subjective judgment. And um, the uh, as you know, and this is the first year when that formula has produced a number greater than 100. It's been as low as 88% before. And so I suppose in that year, you'd say, well, I got a pay cut. Fair enough. You know, um, it, um, if, the, if the formula is measuring the right things, the things the board believes are important to produce future, I'm very happy that I initiated this idea of performance pay here, as you know, I think as many of us as can be ought to be ought to lose when we don't achieve the progress that um, we're aiming at, um, and uh, that people uh, uh, it doesn't matter much to me honestly, but uh, that others ought to be rewarded if they uh, really do uh, have a strong year and and uh, do their part to make Purdue greater. I ask because we're we're at this point where corporate America is talking a lot about the fact that. 
CEO pay uh, is going up much faster than the pay for rank and file employees. There's all sorts of data on this. The New York Times had this amazing uh, graphic some weeks ago in their Sunday paper about the top, you know, 500 CEOs in America and what they got paid and how much extra they got paid year over year. And so there's this talk about this figures into the national discussion about the the wage gap, the wage disparity. And and mm. I just wanted to know, you know, as a as an institution that that is sending people out into that workforce. What do you think the message is, you know, not just to the, the other people who are currently working at Purdue, but also, you know, how do how do you think students should view this conversation as they're about to enter the work world? Uh, I wouldn't tell them how to react to it, uh, Stan. Most of the corporate conversations you're talking about, the look at ratios, they're now required to report. If you looked at the ratio between my pay and the average worker at Purdue, it's much, much smaller than what's out in corporate America, where sometimes the CEO is earning sure you're you not know, earning millions and fifty millions or of dollars, sixty but... times what the average person is, and that's 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 not the case here. Um, you know, fairness is going to be in the eye of of the beholder. Um, I'll just say that many, many places, journalists elsewhere have looked at the Purdue system and found it more fair. It's more performance based. Um, and results uh, based. Um, I'm still, I haven't looked for a while, I'm still, I think, in the bottom half of the Big Ten, if that matters to anybody. In other words, we're, uh, we're not out of line with regard to our peer group and things like that. But uh, I, if, if someone looks at, the, at it and says it's uh, not right, it's too much, I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, I, uh, you and I have discussed on this program before, if, if money were my object, I wouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> I'm doing this job because I love this institution and see it as a great opportunity to uh, help both Purdue and the state of Indiana advance, and it's up to somebody else, uh, in this case the board, what and how they compensate that. So you're at an interesting point now in your employment contract because when this academic year runs out, you're about to go to this year-to-year schedule And um, one of the things that's inherent in that is that either you or the board of trustees must give a year's notice to the other side to say, I think we want to sever this deal. So first question, I assume you have not given said notice to the trustees that you'd like to to step down. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. so second question, then the trustees have put themselves in a very interesting bargaining position. They, by the very admission of of compensation chair Tom Spurgeon, want to keep you happy. That's a key concern he has said to me directly in, in his thinking. And so based on that, and based on the fact that they now have to essentially renegotiate with you every year, in essence... This is this is an interesting at-risk pay conversation, as well as the, the of the conversation of your total compensation. It seems to me like you hold a lot of the cards here going forward. No, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, first of all, it, it keep I'm happy in the job when I think uh, that uh, Purdue's doing well, and I think I'm having something to do with that. It has really uh, honestly doesn't have anything to do with pay. Um, I think and. Um, uh, my understanding is I don't intend to negotiate anything going forward. The terms of the arrangement that kicks in next June are, as you said, it's year to year, but I, you know, we're not going to change anything. The amount of that uh, so-called retention will not go up. It's supposed to just stay frozen, mm-hmm. which is fine with me. If they wanted to lower it, that'd be fine with me. And um, the... Um, 
Uh, and it's ditto. The base is going to stay where it is, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to ask for one more nickel. And, you know, uh, in terms of my own uh, happiness, if anybody cares, I'm, I, I'm happiest when Purdue's doing well, and I'll be happier if, if most people feel that there's, a, there's general fairness in what we're doing, whether it has to do with my compensation or others uh, or, or the benefits we talked about earlier. I wanted to ask you about a conversation that's being had in classrooms around the country. I've been reading stories and hearing some really good reporting on NPR, actually, about how teachers, particularly in high school civics classes, are talking to their students about the ongoing impeachment inquiry in Congress. I wanted to get your view on what you thought Purdue should be doing. What kinds of conversations should be had here on a college campus? And, and maybe, maybe you have some knowledge of what are being had. Well, I'm sure there are conversations, both informal and in cla- and, and in some classes, and I, I uh, leave it, of course, to our uh, faculty to decide uh, whether and how to uh, uh, to talk about this subject um, with our students. You know, w- when Condi Rice was here uh, a couple weeks ago, um, she got a question about it. I thought she gave, uh, not surprisingly, a really wise answer. She started by saying, first, people should concentrate on the process. This is a solemn, uh, rarely used process of our republic. And, um, uh, you know, I thought that this was, she said, this is not something to be undertaken lightly. And so one thing I hope people will think about, Stan, is the, the, the um, really, I think, regrettable a partisan divide that we've seen, the politicization of almost everything, is I think having some corrosive effects. I'll give you a, a different example. I think it's really disserves the country when people report on Supreme Court or other uh, court decisions and talk about them in political terms, a conservative justice, a, a, a Democratic appointed uh, judge. Um, no, the judicial branch is apart from that. And if you really look at how they, um, how they do their jobs, the vast majority are not thinking of themselves in partisan terms. And yet more and more it's characterized that way. Impeachment should be much the same. If this is just seen as another theater for partisan headbanging, I, I think it uh, will diminish further respect for our system. And so I hope on both sides that people will approach it as the very solemn matter it is and uh, without prejudging an outcome, uh, we'll, we'll observe the processes uh, which have already been, um, I guess, uh, uh, tinkered with in, a, in a one way or another or so far, whether there should be a vote to proceed and all that. Uh, so I thought Condi uh, brought up the right question and that if... if uh, in this situation, it leads people to reflect just a little, step back just a little, and reflect on the institutional um, uh, principles involved. Um, maybe some good comes from it. Generally speaking, in a case like this where you have an evolving story that is, of course, of national interest and, and has plenty of educational benefit, plenty to learn here about this process that, as you correctly state, does not get used very much. And so we may hear about, for instance, Andrew Johnson or Richard Nixon being potential subjects of impeachment or Bill Clinton. Um, but we, we don't talk about it a lot. Do you think it's better from a classroom perspective to look at it as it's happening and kind of judge it day by day? Or is it better to 
perhaps give it some time and look at it in a history class several years after it's coming. Mm. Because I think we look at, for instance, the Clinton one being the most recent one that we went through. I think people looked at it a little bit differently and maybe a little more hot-headedly in the time. And now we've had a little more time for uh, academics to go back and look at the actual machinations of the thing. What's what's your sense? I think it's I think it's while it's here and timely, it is a good it is a good time for it to be examined. Um, you know what what is impeachment? What's it really for? What's a high crime and misdemeanor? That's the test here. What is that? And you know, d- does it apply? Now you can look historically too. Did it apply in the '90s? Did it apply to what the Nixon uh, President Nixon? Uh, it did and so forth. And uh, so, no, I think it has uh, a teaching moment uh, aspects to it, and I wouldn't avoid it now. I just hope it is looked at in, in this way, uh, uh, that it what, it what it should not be, and I hope will not be, is just another, um, as I say, a theater or venue for, for working out partisan differences or um, vengeance. One of the things the trustees also did, kind of as expected, is there's been a ban placed on Purdue sports betting by students, faculty, and staff. We talked to you in the immediate aftermath of that. There was a New York Times article that said Purdue's one of the biggest institutions, if not the biggest institution, to, to take this step, and others are also following suit. There was a quote in that that was interesting. It was from State Senator Mark Messmer, who wrote the sports gambling bill, and he called Purdue's move essentially kind of a, a nearly unenforceable end run around the new state law. I wanted to get your response to his comment. Yeah, no, I, I uh, hope to see him somewhere and talk to him. I know Senator Mesmer is a very fine public servant. I, I'm not sure what he's getting at there. Uh, you know, others have made the point, and we agree, that we're not going to set up some sort of, as I said, secret police, run around and try to catch people. We have lots of policies on the books that are not 100 percent abided by. When we find a violation, we try to deal with it in an appropriate way, and that's what we'll do here too. But I'll just say that uh, two things. First of all, any reaction I've been able to gauge to Purdue stepping forward um, er, before others on this uh, has uh, has been positive. That uh, n- no one, with the possible exception of Senator Mesmer, has said that's just not right. That's uh, that's a bad idea. I'm not even sure he's saying it's I, not yeah. right. I'm just saying I'm not. He's yeah, not I'm sure not, how you didn't force it. I think I think that he he was just making a neutral observation. And uh, the second thing is, I uh, I'll be surprised if a lot more schools don't do something similar as, as they think more because we um, as we have continued to think more about it and try to imagine the problems that might gambling on campus might cause. The more we think about it, the more problems we. Can, can conceive of. So the idea has, I think to many of us, I think the trustees certainly feel this way, has looked more and more appropriate as, as, we, as we move forward. And I think this is probably going to be the reaction that, that others have, but we'll, we'll see. But I do believe it was a, a right thing to do. And so far, others looking at it seem to agree. It occurs to me that one thing that could be done would be something similar to what the university did with Netflix and Twitch and other internet streaming services is you could, at least when you're on a university server, perhaps in a university building somewhere, you could limit access to, for instance, the online sites that would be able to take daily sports betting or daily, you know, fantasy sports money. Has that been considered at all? No, that's interesting. Uh, I, um, of course, I think a lot of this betting is going to be over the over telephones, uh, as as opposed to online. I think, but maybe I'm 
Well, I think you can use both technologies. No, that's an interesting question. Yeah, if, if you shouldn't be uh, playing video games or, uh, or, uh, or watching a movie uh, during chemistry class, then you probably shouldn't be betting on Purdue at the, uh, either. One last question about sports and money in our last minute here. I wanted to get your reaction to the legislation that California recently passed allowing college athletes to sign agents and make money from endorsement deals. Has there been talk about whether that affects Purdue in any way or whether this is how this is affecting the landscape here in 30 seconds? You can bet there has been and there will be. Uh, I don't know where we're going here. This, uh, I know there will be conversations certainly in the Big Ten very soon about this. Um, and I, I just kind of listen and try to learn and think through it more. I, 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 there's a, I sympathize very much with the idea that the athletes um, who are creating uh, all this uh, revenue, without whom you don't have it, I guess I'd say, um, might be uh, do something else. But figuring out how to do that in a way that's fair and doesn't create abuses, I'm not sure anybody's got that answer yet. All right, thanks so much for your time. We'll do it again next month. This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Enjoy the rest of your day.